Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program today and thank you for joining us this uh, celebration week of Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk a little bit this week about the power of thankfulness and the power of Thanksgiving. Uh, before I do, though, just want to uh, just encourage you that if you have missed any of our programs, we uh, archive everything that we air uh, on television is on our YouTube channel. And uh, we, we, you could go there, watch it on demand anytime you'd like. Uh, we also have a uh, I, iTunes podcast and an RSS feed for the audio portions of all of the programs that we have aired to date. The best way to do that is simply to go to my website at uh, lynnhiles.com, and that information is on your screen as to where our website is at. And uh, there is a direct link. If you will find the little icons at the top, uh, they will take you directly to our YouTube page and directly to our iTunes podcast and directly to the RSS feed for your Android devices. Uh, we're just so thankful for you. We just want to say how thankful today we are for you who've been our faithful partners. And, and I might encourage you while you're there on the website, following a link perhaps to watch one of our programs, that uh, you could possibly think about sowing a seed into the ministry there. There is a button there for donation or where you could sign up to become a partner with us. Also think, I was thinking before I came on camera, that uh, the holiday season is coming and some of you may want to do your Christmas shopping. And I think what better gift could you give than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to one of your loved ones? So we have a lot of, of course, audio and CD and some video on our website, but uh, our books are on there as well. And I just take a minute. Uh, I wrote this first one, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is a book that is a, about the seven letters that John wrote to seven churches that were really in Asia. And he really is dealing with them about what they need to repent of, which doesn't necessarily mean you need to get saved, but it means that you need to change your mind. And it was what they needed to change their mind about in order to be able to enter into a new covenant mentality and a revelation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. After all, the book of Revelation is really not about bugs as big as Volkswagens or Godzilla monsters coming up out of the ocean. It really is, as the title of the book says, a revelation of Jesus Christ. This book will help you make a shift as well into a new covenant mindset that I be, believe will be a great blessing to you. If you've been afraid of the book of Revelation, this book is for you. It'll certainly set you free from some of that fear that's in that book. The second one I wrote is called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And this book is about uh, Matthew 11, where Jesus said to them, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it and I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And this book is about, uh, it's about the grace of God that flows from the posture of rest. I take the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day and show you how they powerfully picture uh, what flows from this incredible uh, posture called rest. 
my latest book that just is probably out about a, a year and a half now is I think uh, one of the most important pieces of work I've done to date. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. The reason I believe this book was so important is because Literally, uh, it marries the gospel of grace with the gospel of the kingdom. Because whenever the shift came for the new covenant, there was a passing away of the mosaic system, passing away of the old covenant, and a passing away of the law. That, however, did not leave us lawless. A lot of people jumped on the bandwagon when I first started preaching freedom from the law. And they turned from law, and they turned from legalism, they turned from religion, but repentance is not just what you turn from, but also what you turn toward. And what we show in this book is that another form of government was coming on the scene in the first century called the kingdom of God. It would be the indwelling Holy Spirit that would govern the life of the believer. I believe this one really helps to bring some balance to some things that are being said. Then you'd be blessed by getting any one of them or giving them as a gift to one of your loved ones. Well, with that all being said, thank you again for joining us. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of Thanksgiving, because this is Thanksgiving week, and of course, uh, you know, I'm always almost nostalgic about, uh, you know, this particular time of the year is a season when we enjoy being with family and with friends and, and relatives, or we have our our, our traditions that we perhaps, uh, um, you know, just simply enjoy all the great food, the fun, the fellowship, all of those things uh, are during this particular season. But I thought since this was Thanksgiving week that I would uh, just uh, begin to share some things uh, with you about the power of a thankful heart. I'm going to read to some, uh, today uh, from Psalm 100 to get a place to start from. It said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Now, uh, you know, I think sometimes that sometimes we don't really realize the power of praise or the power of thankfulness. I was thinking as I was getting ready to come on camera today uh, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, chapter number 10, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said that everything that happened to the children of Israel under Moses happened to them for examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages or the ends of the world have come. And uh, he goes on to, to, to admonish them that these things were examples. He said, so that they would not uh, fall after the same example of unbelief. And one of the things that he tells them is that they would learn not to murmur. He said, don't be like your fathers who murmured in the wilderness and provoked him to anger. And I got to thinking about, you know, the opposite of thanksgiving would be complaint or murmuring. You know, I, I think about murmuring as almost somebody that just is a, in a general bad mood all the time. They just, they don't, not, not even saying words sometimes, just mumbling under their voice and murmuring and complaining. Sometimes our children are like that. 
But I just want to say something to you. You know, a bad day in America is a good day other places. Sometimes we don't think we are so blessed when maybe we don't have the latest iPhone or the newest iPad or the, uh, you know, or, or, or uh, maybe we don't live in a mansion somewhere. But I got to tell you, man, as I've traveled the nations of the earth, and I see how some people live, and, and to them, they think they're blessed, which they are. Depends. It's all relative to how you look at it. But the truth of it is that sometimes I think when I come back to America, we just need to stop and thank God for the blessing of the Lord that is in our lives. If you've got good health, you've got a roof over your head today, you've got some food in your belly, then you need to be thankful. And if you've got over an abundance, it may not hurt anything to help somebody else today to have a meal or to have a, a, a warm blanket or a place uh, to stay. I mean, there's so many things that we begin to think about during these particular seasons with people that are homeless and people who do not have anything. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things it ought to do is for, is for sure make us thankful for the blessing of the Lord that the Scripture said makes a man rich and adds with it no sorrow. This psalm is declaring the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Be thankful and bless His holy name. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And while I was thinking even about that scripture in Corinthians where Paul says that these things happen as an example so that we would not murmur. That was one of the key issues he told them in Corinth is so that they would not murmur. And as I begin to think about this, I thought about how sometimes, you know, how we think and what we say can determine our moods. It can determine our faith. If you sit around and you complain and you murmur all the time, or you set yourself around complainers, after a while, you're going to be depressed. I'm sorry. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to think God isn't doing nothing. But here's the thing that really stuck out to me. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, think about this. God divinely supplied everything that they needed in the middle of the wilderness a rock followed them, and water gushed out of that rock. And the Bible said that God fed them angels delivered, if you will, manna on the backyard every morning that they got up. All they had to do was simply go out and feed on the manna. He opened the Red Sea and delivered them by the water. He delivered them from the bondage of Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb and came out with 400 years worth of back pay, with gold in their pockets, and with all that they spoiled the Egyptians. And the scripture says that when the Lord gave them manna, and I want you to note this, it said the people murmured, and they complained. And the Bible said snakes came among them. And then when I was thinking about this, when I was thinking about talking about the power of praise, I was thinking about how murmuring and complaining, if it created an atmosphere in the exodus of the children of Israel for snakes to come among them, I thought how powerful of a picture that is in our everyday lives, that sometimes when we sit around and we murmur and complain and don't really realize how good we have it, and we, be, we become unthankful and vain in our imaginations, 
it creates an environment for snakes to operate. In other words, demonic spirits, evil spirits. Uh, in other words, when you start to complain, it becomes the enemy of faith until you will get so despondent and discouraged, and then serpents came among them. Now, I, now I want you to notice this. They're not just murmuring and complaining, it's hot out here. I got sand in my shoes. Somebody stole my tent peg. I didn't get to sing last night. Nobody shook my hand. I don't like Moses' style of leadership. Uh, you know, all, that's not, they were not just complaining about circumstantial stuff. These people have the audacity to complain about the miracles they're receiving. They, they literally said angels were delivering manna on the backyard for them. Now you're a complainer when you can complain about angels delivering for you. And the Bible said that it had to taste of fresh oil and honeycomb. I always like to think it probably tasted like uh, Krispy Kreme donuts with the light being on. And the truth of it is, is man, if you're going to complain about Krispy Kreme donuts being delivered fresh every morning on your lawn by angels, think about this a minute. And not only are they, it's good for you. There was not a feeble one among them because of what God was feeding them on. So these people have the audacity to get up in the morning and say, uh, they said, uh, we loathe, we literally hate, we loathe this light bread. We want flesh to eat. I'm so, uh, I'm so moved by that because so many times people would rather have flesh and I'm talking about carnality and flesh and all the stuff we feed on that we get definition from or we get our happiness from rather than the supply of the, the manna that came down from heaven. And then, see, the Scripture tells uh, us in the New Testament, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they are dead. But Jesus said, I am the true bread that came down from heaven, that if a man eats this he will live. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, that when we begin to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and we begin to find ourselves, instead of complaining about every little thing, I mean, in other words, you could look around you today, and I know that this week that we're airing is probably somewhere near Thanksgiving week, and you could say, well, so-and-so's not here, or I don't have this, and man, that's lacking, but I want you to look around today. And instead of complaining about what you don't have, I want you to look around you today and begin to count your many blessings. And just you know, as the old songwriter said, name them one by one. If you're in a warm house, be thankful for it. Because the moment you begin to give thanks and praise, God begins. You know, if murmuring creates an environment for snakes to operate, then how much more does praise and worship, oh hallelujah, create an environment for God to move on your behalf. It is the atmosphere where miracles are manifested. In other words, instead of just constantly talking about how bad it is and how, you know, I, you know, I heard one preacher say one time, he said, listen, what you need to do is every time you say something, uh, at the end of it say, and that's how I want it to be. Because sometimes we don't really realize that we say, oh boy, you know, uh, man, man, I just got aches and pains everywhere. And if you put the end of that, you say, and that's how I want it to be. And then you'd probably stop confessing some things like that and begin to declare, I want to thank the Lord for renewing my youth like the eagle. 
I want to thank God for just blessing me with being able to at least still being able to walk. I want to thank the Lord for the provision that He's made. I want to thank God for the food that's on my table, the roof that's over my head, the spouse that I've got, the children that I've got. And once you begin to be thankful, sometimes it even shifts your attitude towards them and their attitude towards you. I'm reminded even of uh, Asaph in Psalm 77. I, I, let me, I think I'll just turn over there because that's such a powerful, a powerful psalm um, to just read. Asaph was the chief musician under David. And uh, he was the guy that sounded the cymbals. He was like, if you would, you know, the worship leader. And uh, he's, he's uh, writing this psalm, and he says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord, and my sewer ran in the night, and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Now, Selah means stop and think about that a minute. Now, here's Asa, who is the chief musician. He's the guy sounding the cymbals. Let me just say to you, if your worship leader is in the molly grubs like this one does, you're probably not going to have a shout in service. You're going to have to be singing the blues. That's why there's different kinds of music, because it caters to the moods of different kinds of people. And you can sit around and waller, even in music that sometimes will just bring such a, uh, a discouragement and a uh, heaviness over your spirit, that instead of going to something that's singing about your problem, and uh, you know, you need to be crying over this and crying over that, turn the channel and get some praise and worship on. Or, or, or get your Bible out and begin to, to just, you know, hear from God. But if you can get some place where you can get some praise and worship, it might just turn some things around for you. Because what Asaph said here was, he's the chief musician. And probably many other days, man, this dude, when he'd sound the cymbals, it would bring it to a crescendo of a shout, and people would just, uh, you know, enjoy that. But here's Asaph now talking about the day of trouble and what he was going through and how his sore ran in the night, and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. People get in a pity party, and they don't want out of the pity party. Some of them use that pity and sorrow for manipulation and to try to control people. But after a while, you're going to have to begin to turn that thing around. Somewhere you've got to grab yourself by the bootstraps and say, listen, man, I'm going to speak to myself in psalms and in hymns, and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord. And when you begin to do that, you will see the heavy dark clouds begin to lift and that thanksgiving to begin to blow on all the circumstances that are in your life. He said, I refused, my soul refused to be comforted. He goes on to say, I remembered God and was troubled. In other words, when I had thoughts about God, I started being troubled. But this is the, the point here. I want to grab this especially as well. He said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. In other words, our complaint can affect our spirit. When you keep on complaining, you know, you, I, I think about sometimes even how we can complain about our economy, our political situations, our 
Uh, you know, all, I mean, people complain about, we, 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 we strike up conversations with people who are strangers in a line over a common complaint, how long it's taken, how we don't like this, what this is. But see, here's the problem with that. You don't really realize that when you're complaining, it's doing something to your spirit. Your spirit begins to be overwhelmed. And you know, I, I look at the struggle with a lot of people, even, even sometimes in what we uh, hear when we go to church. Sometimes we get accused of being a feel-good church. They say, well, y'all just preaching that message of grace because it's a feel-good message. Well, the truth of it is, is you should feel good when you leave church. That's why it's called the good news. The gospel means the good news. If it doesn't edify you, encourage you, build you up, uh, you know, then it's probably not the gospel, at least the gospel of the new covenant. Now, uh, what I, 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 what I want to go somewhere, you know, when I co come into the house of God, and I'm not saying that sometimes we don't all go through times when we're in the mully grubs, or we've got our trouble and our sore and our pain and the things that we're going through. But the reality of it is, is that when we can at least gather in the house of God with the saints of God and go somewhere where you can have something that will reverse what has happened in your spirit. But the bottom line is in anybody's life who is walking through some of these things is you have to realize this is your trouble and you're going to have to begin to stop complaining until your spirit is well overwhelmed. Now let me, let's look at the rest of the song. He said, Thou holdest mine eyes walking. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old and the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. I want you to notice all the personal pronouns here. He's owning the, he said, my problem, my sore, my pain, my trouble, my, my, you know, my, 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 <laughs> you get, that's about what you're saying. But he said, I call to remembrance my song in the night. That's the problem. You're calling your song and you need to remember his song. You need to sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation. He said, I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Look how he starts to accuse God. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail evermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercy? Selah. Now I'm going to, it's going to change in just one more verse. But what he begins to do is he starts to turn on God. I mean, there are so many times when we're going through something that we start to think to ourselves, man, has God forgotten to be gracious? God, where are you at? Will you cast off forever? Where is your favor? Are you favorable no more? Have you in your anger? And see, sometimes I think bad thinking from an old covenant paradigm makes you think that half the stuff you're going through is coming from God. I think one of the dumbest things I can, and I don't mean to be just rude there, but sometimes I think we blame God for a whole lot of stuff God didn't do. We think it's God giving us sickness, or God giving us poverty, or God giving us uh, some of these other things. And it's not God giving them to us. He's standing there saying, I'm your deliverer. I want to bring you up out of those things. But sometimes when we're going through it, we start to wonder, and we, you know, especially when we walk through things, 
where we've had tragedies or loss, and we were, we're almost like, oh God, you know, where are you at? Where, where is God at in all this? But I want you to notice this. Verse 10, it starts to shift. And Asaph said, and I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the works of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. When I think about, he said, I will remember the years of the right hand. I think about the arm and hammer bacon soda box where God rolls up his sleeve and says, let me demonstrate and show you my power. Let me go back and begin to remember how God gave me a miracle when I was going through maybe this very same thing before. I need to go back and remember that if God did it before, He'll certainly do it again. I can remember, I go back and He said, I will remember the years of the right hand. I will remember the works of the Lord. I'm going to start remembering all that God has done for me. And then I'm going to talk about His doings. I'm going to change my conversation. Because he had to own this. He said, this is my infirmity. In other words, I talked myself into this problem. I'm going to talk myself out of it. I'm going to take this season and realize it is a Thanksgiving time, and I'm going to give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And when he begins to shift the way he's thinking here, the next verse says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee, and they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Now let us thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's turning this around by saying, remember how the Lord brought us up out of the land of Egypt, and we saw His right hand. In other words, this psalm starts out with complaint and murmuring and all of his problems. But when he says, I'm going to change the way I think, and I'm going to focus on the years of the right hand, I'm going to remember instead of my trouble, I'm going to remember God. I'm going to remember how God brought us through the Red Sea, how God brought us through the storm. And that's what he begins to say, thy way is in the sea. Your way Oh God, he goes on to say, is in the thunder and in the, in, in other words, he said, the clouds pour out water, skies went out the set, and out of sound, thine arrows went also, went abroad. In other words, he's starting to see God in everything uh, that's happening. In other words, he's seeing God in the storm, he's seeing God in the ocean, he's seeing God in the opening of the Red Sea. In other words, your particular situation right now may just be an opportunity for the miraculous of God to come forth in your life. It is an opportunity for a miracle. Can you turn what you say around and begin to be thankful unto the Lord for He is good because praise will turn things around. We're just about ready to run out of time and I want you to take a moment if you can and you'd like to become a part of something that's helping us take the gospel around the world, please call that number on the screen or go to our website. You can give via credit card or debit card and sow a seed into the ministry or you can write a check or money order and send it to the address that will come up on the scene to Lynn House Ministries and we will appreciate everything you do to help us take the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. God bless you.
The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.